that's a very healthy technical indicator for this rally to evidence that this is not just a bear market bounce rather this is something more profound more meaningful and potentially the, the start of a new bull market so that that's really healthy What's up, HGI investors, and welcome back to Hypergrowth Investing. I'm Aaron Davis, and as always, pleased to be joined by investment analyst Luke Lango. Luke, what's going on today? How you doing? I'm doing well, Aaron. I'm doing well. We got some, uh, this week's all about retail earnings. It's all about some housing data. Uh, so we'll talk about that later in the call. But um, bear to bull market transition, got underway mid-June. Still has a lot of momentum today. I uh, expect a near-term pullback. That's healthy. That's normal. But I think we are in the midst of what could be, you know, maybe the first or second innings of a big 12, 16, 18-month breakout in stock. So color me bullish going forward. Well, definitely looking forward to getting into all of that in just a few moments. If this is your first time joining us, Hypergrowth Investing is the weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, we take an in-depth look at emerging tech and investment innovations, electric vehicles, cryptocurrencies, the metaverse, and more. Nothing is off limits. If you're joining us for the first time, we go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcasts. So make sure to hit like and subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. Again, I'm Aaron Davis, educator, lifelong learner, and your proxy into the mind that is the Luke Lango. Ton of things to cover. Let's dive right in. Uh, starting things off a little differently this week, we're going to start with our market check-in. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. starting off with the big market rally over the last two months. You know, tech stocks have technically entered a new bull market. The Dow is up more than 10%. The S&P is up around 15%. You know, what is driving this rally? Is it that inflation, like you said, is starting to come down? And if it is, is that a sustainable driver? Um, yeah, so the, the the bear to bull market transition over the past two months we've seen, um, it's been very, very pronounced. Um, to your point, the Dow since the mid-June lows up about 10%. The S&P is up about 15, NASDAQ's up about 30, Kathy Wood's ARK Fund's up about 40, and um, some of our big portfolio holdings are up 60, 70, 80% over that stretch. So it's been a very powerful risk-on rally. Cryptos have caught a bit in this rally too. Uh, it's been very healthy. Um, about 90% of the S&P 500 constituent uh, components are above their 50-day moving averages. That is, technically speaking, a very strong indicator of the health of this rally. Um, we recently took out the 50% retracement level, another really healthy sign of this rally. So there are a lot of things that make this rally look very powerful, but what's driving it? Yes, the impetus for the rally has been a shift in inflation expectations and a shift in the trend of inflation. CPI rates had been climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. In July, they fell pretty dramatically. Uh, a big part of the fall, to be fair, was the fall in energy prices. Oil, one of our big calls, short oil. Oil has <laughs> collapsed, right? Oil was at 120 a barrel. It's come down to 90, below 90. I think what, what's the last, last tick is 87. 87 mm -hmm. a barrel, right? So we're collapsing on oil. Um, and that is bringing gas prices down. 
that is bringing the cost of fuel for everybody down, whether it's for you and me at the pump or for Walmart transporting goods, Target transporting goods, Amazon transporting goods, uh, for goods coming across the ocean, uh, shipping rates are down dramatically as well. So you're seeing broad-based disinflation in the global economy, mostly because of the drop in energy prices. That is why stocks have rallied in a big way, because we've said it before, but we'll say it again, Recessions, the market can handle recessions. And indeed, this market's pretty much already priced for a recession. A recession mm-hmm. can send stocks into a bear market. Not always, but normally does. We went into a bear market. We dropped 20%. Tech stock dropped about 30%. Um, and a lot of these growth stocks fell 50, 60, 70, 80, 90%. So stocks were priced for a recession. A recession we can handle, take it on the chin, move on. What we can't handle is a decade of stagflation, a decade of inflation that is embedded, sticky, and continues to eat away at purchasing power. Because what that does is it leads to the Fed making this monumental shift in monetary policy. Right now, everyone's freaking out. Fed's hiking 75 bips, 75 bips, 50 bips. Okay, cool. But guess what? The 10-year Treasury yield is still at 2.7%, 2.8%. Right? Back in the 70s, back in the 80s, we had 10% plus 10-year yields. Mm-hmm. So worse, yes, the Fed is acting aggressively, but they're acting aggressively still within a very, historically speaking, loose monetary policy backdrop. If that shifts because inflation shifts, then mm-hmm. you're talking about yields that have to go up to 5%, 6%, 7% or higher. That's a problem for stocks because stocks, the valuation on stocks, the P multiple on stocks is tied to those yields. If those yields go up, the P multiples have to come down quite a bit. In that situation, you're talking another 30 40%, maybe even 50% drawdown across the entire market. So that's what the market can't handle right now. Recession, mm-hmm. like I said, take it on the chin, move on. Inflation, we got to reprice for that. Like embedded mm-hmm. inflation, we got to reprice for that. So the big rally in risk assets and stocks since mid-June has been exclusively because, not exclusively because, has been predominantly because inflation trends have shifted meaningfully enough mm-hmm. to the point where investors and consumers are no longer expecting inflation to be a big problem for a long time. Will it stick mm-hmm. around to the end of the year? Probably. Maybe some remnants of it in 23, sure. But by mid-23, late 23, definitely into 2024, inflation's not going to be a problem anymore. That shift in mindset because of the shift mm-hmm. in trend in July has powered this big rally in stocks. Second question. Is it sustainable? Energy prices are what caused the big collapse. Energy prices are still coming down, right? Mm -hmm. The the, the tick on oil in July was 98, 97, 95. Now we're 87, 88, 89. We're probably going to our analysis as we're going to 65 oil by the end of the year. So if that does continue, and the big reason Mm -hmm. we think it is going to continue is The oil rebound thesis was largely predicated on two things. One, China was going to unlock its uh, economy by getting rid of the COVID-19 lockdowns. And that was going to bring the world's second largest economy back online. A whole bunch of global economic demand was going to flood into the oil markets. And then two, supply was going to remain tight. That over in the Middle East, the Saudis don't have as many reserves as they're saying or as they claim. But over the past week, we kind of learned that both those things are not true. Um, 
China's economy, yes, the COVID-19 lockdowns are in the rearview mirror, but they had this big bounce in June that just completely faded in July, that that economy is in trouble. Retail sales miss, industrial output miss, the consumer is really weak. Um, the housing market over there is is collapsing, and that's very, very worrisome. Mm-hmm. Um, so China's in trouble. And what was expected to be this big economic demand surge as a result of a China economy rebound is now fading. That we're seeing that that surge was a one-month thing, and now we're back into this very choppy and slow demand output coming out of China. So that kind of destroys the demand part of the in oil rebound thesis. The supply mm-hmm. part, Saudi Aramco just reported over the weekend, hey, we got tons of reserves. As soon as government tells us, we're pumping. We're pumping way more. We, we, we can go up significantly more than where we are today. Saudi Aramco, mm-hmm. biggest oil producer in the world, said that. So I don't think the supply situation is as constrained as what some believe it is. Demand falling apart. Supply probably more than what people are fearing. Uh, that leads to a situation where oil prices continue to go lower. 87 is mm-hmm. not the bottom. 86, 85, 84, 83, 82, 81, 80, 70, 65. I think that's how we end up. If that continues, gas prices, the pump continue to come down. Transport costs continue to come down. Fuel costs continue to come down. And the whole inflation um, kind of ecosystem will continue to deflate. And we're going to go from six or 7%, 6%, 5%, 4%. I think that happens pretty rapidly. As that happens, stocks will continue to rebound, in my opinion. So, mm-hmm. yes, I think that this rally is sustainable for the reason of inflation, deceleration so, of inflation. So aside from the inflationary outlook on this rally, uh, you've been telling me that there's also, you know, indicators that this is a healthy rally based on technical indicators. Right. Can you walk mm-hmm. us through some of those? Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of, as I kind of touched on at the top of the call, there are a lot of really healthy underlying technical indicators in the market right now uh, that in some create a mountain of evidence suggesting this is not just another bear market rally. Now, mm-hmm. the, the most famous of these indicators and the one that's been seen probably sprinkled around Twitter and on the internet and in, maybe in financial media as well is the 50% Fibonacci retracement level. Right. So Fibonacci sequence, these, you know, famous sequence of numbers that appear everywhere in nature. And some people think they have these magical powers, whatever. <laughs> Forget that. Um, 50 uh, The Fibonacci retracement levels, um, there's something called the 50 percent retracement level, which is basically yeah, you, you, you look at a stock and you have a high point and you have a low point for that stock. Um, mm-hmm. You calculate the distance between the high point and the low point. And the 50% retracement level is the halfway point between those two stocks. So when you're in a bear market, what traders are looking for is to see, okay, how much have we retraced, right? We dropped so much. Have we Mm -hmm. taken back 25%? Have we taken back 50%? Have we taken back 60%? And the most critical level that traders watch in bear markets is the 50% retracement level. Once stocks have fallen a whole bunch, bear market, they've fallen more than 20%, have they recovered more than half of those losses in a rally? If Mm -hmm. they have, it's most likely not a bear market rally. The reason being, since World War II, post-1946, 70 years of data here, more than 70 years of data, 76 years of data, there has never been a bear market that retraced 50% of its losses and then went on to make new lows. Every time post-World War II, 
that stocks fell into a bear market, retraced 50% of their losses, that retracement led to a new bull market. It didn't go back to a bear market. It wasn't a bear market rally. 100% track record there. Uh To be be clear, 100% clear, there are instances pre-World War II, maybe I think about three, where the mm-hmm. 50% retracing indicator didn't work. But okay. I'm going to say I think we should throw those data points out because, one, you're looking back to the 1930s. It's a completely different you know, market environment, financial environment. People aren't watching mm-hmm. indicators like they were back you – know, they weren't watching back then like they are today. A lot of differences in, in the trading environment, not to mention that was the Great Depression of the 30s, mm-hmm. not really comparable to what we have today. So um, – I do want to make it clear that their pre-World War II, the 50% retracement indicator didn't work as well. But post-World War II, 70 years, modern financial history, there is a 100% track record of the 50% retracement level calling the end of bear markets. We just did that. The S&P 500 just did that on Friday. Um, It kind of – it ran up to that level, the 50% retracement level on Thursday – and it looked like it was mm-hmm. going to maybe challenge it on Friday, and it just kind of glided right through it and soared right past it. And mm-hmm. here we are this week, okay. and the, the, the S&P is up again today. It was, it was uh, pretty mixed yesterday. So we're continuing to stay above it and move, move above that 50% retracement level. So that's a very healthy technical indicator for this rally to mm-hmm. evidence that this is not just a bear market bounce, and rather this is something more profound, more meaningful and potentially the, the start of a new bull market. So that that's really healthy. Another one that I mentioned at the top of the call is the moving averages, the percent, percentage of stocks that are trading above their 50-day moving averages. Right mm-hmm. now, that number is about 90%. That means 90% of the stocks in the S&P 500, nine out of every 10 stocks in the index, are essentially participating in this rally. Broad mm-hmm. rallies are considered very healthy. It's called good breath. That's the term. You want good breath. We have great, excellent, fantastic breath um, in the S&P 500 right now. And if you look out you know, in the past, I think, two or three decades, anytime you've had rallies where 90% of the S&P 500 stocks traded ab- above their 50-day moving averages like we have today, anytime that dynamic mm-hmm. did occur – there was a 90% chance stocks were higher over the next three months and a 90% chance higher they were over higher over the next 12 months with average gains over the next 12 months of about 16%. So that's a very powerful technical indicator showing the, the strength of this rally, the legitimacy of this rally. I mean, there's a handful of others out there that, that are really flashing, but the, the big picture here is that the market internals, not just the headline indices. We can all look at the headline indices and say, okay, the, the, the market's up. That's good. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. true. When the market's up, you have to look at the internals. What's going on underneath the hood, right? What's going on mm-hmm. in the engine of the market? And if yep. you look at that today, you see a lot of positive signs. Great breadth, great depth of the rally. You're seeing great participation. You're seeing great leadership. You're seeing, in terms of what is leading the rally, the risk assets, the growth stocks, the early stage, the beaten up stuff, the stuff that tends to lead us out of bear markets. We talked about this in previous calls, right? We've mm-hmm. said when bear markets turn into bull markets, the stocks that lead us out are the early stage growth stocks. Those are the ones yep. that lead us out of these markets. Of, of bear markets. That's exactly what we're seeing right now. So when you look at the internals, the guts of the market today, they're very, very 
very bullish. They're very healthy. And they indicate that this is not a head fake. This is not a bear market bounce or a bear market rally or whatever term you want to call it. This is rather more likely the start of a new secular uptrend in stocks, the start Mm -hmm. of a new bull market. Now, having said all that, I do want to say there is no such thing as a sure thing in the markets, right? There is no such thing as 100% certainty. All we can Mm -hmm. do as investors, we have to operate in the world of probabilities. That's the world we Mm -hmm. live in. Um, But the weight of evidence today, when you look at all the data, objectively Mm -hmm. states that the bulk of evidence suggests we are in a veritable market transition. Mm-hmm. We could be in a bear market rally, a head fake. If we are, it's the best head fake of all time, but it could happen. It could mm-hmm. happen. So okay. what you have to do as investors operate in the world of probabilities, let's operate on the base case as a bear market transition, but be prepared to adjust in the event that mm-hmm. inflation doesn't cool, that oil does pop, the gas prices do pop, something strange happens in the third quarter. In the event that those things happen, we got to change the thesis, we got to adjust the portfolios. But for right now, I have to say it's full on risk mode. You have to get mm-hmm. into these stocks. They're up massively over the past you know, two months. Like I said, we have some stocks that are up 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100% over the past two months alone. We think mm-hmm. they keep going. There's a lot of momentum behind these names. And you got to stick with that rally until the evidence shifts. If the evidence shifts, you change your thesis. But right now, the evidence and the thesis are buy growth stocks and let them mm-hmm. run. That's where we stand today. And uh, earnings season has also played a huge been a huge driver in this rally, right? I mean, what are you seeing there? Yeah, so um, like I said, uh, predominantly the driver of the rally has been inflation, decelerating inflation, disinflation, which is something we called on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the another big part of it is is the earnings season, which actually uh, completely blew me away. Even mm-hmm. um, so, this morning, for example, Walmart and Home Depot reported. I thought they were going to put up miserable numbers. I thought Walmart and Home Depot were going to report really bad numbers. From where I stand, the discretionary side of the consumer is completely falling apart. Uh, that's what I'm witnessing, mm-hmm. at least. Uh, but Walmart and Home Depot put up fantastic numbers. Now, to be fair, Walmart's numbers were mostly driven by there was a collapse in discretionary spending from the consumer, but the consumer is just taking inflation on the chin basically and buying all the groceries in the world regardless of how big that basket ends up being so walmart's Mm -hmm. numbers are growing and they're putting up good numbers because people are spending 200 bucks a week on groceries at walmart now um they're just not buying clothes anymore uh and so inventory is up 25.6 percent year over year um and actually that's a big disinflation thing remember we talked about the Mm bullet effect a couple weeks back about how inventory is building at these retailers and they're gonna have to like clear it all that's mm-hmm. happening. Today's report from Walmart underscores that inventory up 26% year over year, basically. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of that is in the stuff people aren't buying, clothes, apparel, uh, beauty products. People aren't buying that stuff right now. So the discretionary side of the consumer is falling apart. But still, Walmart put up great numbers. Revenue beat, mm-hmm. EPS beat, margins are pretty healthy. Um, Home Depot, also good numbers. Shocker to me. Housing market, not doing so well. Uh, mm-hmm. Big ticket items, probably not what people are buying right now. Uh, yeah. Home repairs, I don't know anybody doing a home repair right now. Yeah, I look at Home Depot's numbers and it looks like a lot of people are. Home mm-hmm. Depot is putting up great numbers. They continue to put up great numbers. Costco isn't putting up great numbers. So the consumer still remains pretty healthy. And that's because the mm-hmm. labor market remains pretty healthy. They're just okay. remaining healthy by not buying discretionary items. They're remaining mm-hmm. healthy by cutting out non-essential goods and just buying all the essential goods. 
That's mm-hmm. how they're remaining healthy. So that's actually been a big win for stocks in terms of earnings season because the retailers have reported fairly fairly good numbers. Tech companies have reported very, very, very good numbers. Uh, enterprise spending remains very healthy, very vigorous. Cloud spending remains very healthy, very vigorous. Um, digital advertising is weak right now, but there mm-hmm. were pockets of strength in digital advertising. Programmatic digital advertising is doing fantastic. The Trade Desk, one of our favorite stocks, that they reported fabulous numbers. The programmatic mm-hmm. shift. Pubmatic's another name in, in, in the programmatic space. Um, tickers PUBM. They reported fantastic numbers too. That stock soared. So programmatic advertising, very strong. Digital advertising weak, but pockets of strength in there. Um, streaming did pretty well. Disney Plus had had a fantastic print. Uh, Disney had a fantastic print with Disney Plus leading the way in terms of subscriber mm-hmm. growth. So the a lot of the numbers out there have been pretty good, and they were supposed to be not pretty good. So mm-hmm. that upside surprise has also contributed to what has been a pretty healthy rally in the stocks over the past two months. Now the question mark for people is. What happens in Q3, right? What happens? We got through Q2. You know, (laughs) what happens in Q3? What happens next? Exactly. But the guides have been really strong. And the inflation picture is improving. We talked about this. Um, If the inflation picture is improving, then what's that going to allow for is consumers are going to reopen discretionary spending. Enterprises are going to start getting a little bit more bullish, start spending a little bit more. Uh, because something that's really important mm-hmm. to note is enterprises are sitting on a bunch of cash right now. Cash levels have soared to record highs. They've been hoarding cash mm-hmm. because they're afraid of the downturn. Now they're starting to spend that cash. Some of them are spending on buybacks. Some of them are, are increasing CapEx guidance. But now all of a sudden, these big enterprises are unlocking their cash drawers. That should create a nice mm-hmm. tailwind for the economy. Um, anyways, I think Q3 is going to be good enough again. That Q2 wasn't great. But expectations were piss poor going into it. So good mm-hmm. enough caused a big rally in stocks. Now mm-hmm. everyone's like, oh, well, Q3 is going to be terrible. Okay, we missed Q2. We, you know, we, we, we escaped, but Q3 is going to be mm-hmm. terrible. So now expectations going into Q3 are going to be piss poor again. And I think they're going to be good enough numbers again, meaning the rally mm-hmm. is going to accelerate, continue. Same with Q4. So I think the, the story of the, the rest of the year in terms of earnings is going to be good enough. Good, good enough, enough. <laughs> good enough. We're going to get good enough in Q3, good enough in Q4, and stocks are going to continue their rally. I think you're going to get those good enough earnings with falling inflation, falling yields, and that's going to power more gains in stock. So very bullish on the outlook into the end of the year. Definitely think we're due for a near-term pullback. Remember, mm-hmm. rallies are not linear. You don't take the mm-hmm. elevator shaft up. It's a staircase. Yes. Two steps up. One step back, two step, step back. up, one step back. That's the mm-hmm. most sustainable rally. You know, mm-hmm. when, when you look at a chart and you see something that goes like, boom, normally it goes, boom, comes right back down. <laughs> or it does super volatility for a while, right? Yeah. That's yeah. not healthy. The healthiest mm-hmm. charts are the ones that go like this. And when you zoom in, they go two steps forward, one step back, two step forward, one mm-hmm. step back. It's, it's a zigzag up. You zig higher, you zag lower. You zig higher, you zag lower. Where you want the zig hires to be bigger than the zag lowers. That's yep. that's the name of the game. That's the name of the game. And so the best thing for this rally right now, it's mm-hmm. been pretty straight line since mid-June. It's been pretty yeah. straight line. The best thing for the rally would be a 5 to 10% pullback to mm-hmm. test the durability of the rally. 
And then once a successful test happens, we take two steps forward, take another 20% higher, take 5% back, 20% higher, 5% back. I'd love to see that trajectory into the end of the year. I think that's exactly what we're going to see. So into the end of August, I think we get a pullback. I think you're going to want to buy that pullback because I think right after that pullback, you're going to get a 20% melt up um, into the next 5% pullback. So two steps forward, one step back. We're in the one step back process right now. Buy the dip, take the two steps forward. That's how we're looking at things. So with with the pullback and buying on the dip, is there anything that you're looking for specifically to buy during this uh, pullback phase? You know, we've been pounding the table on it for a while, Aaron, and uh, it's clean tech, clean tech, clean tech, clean tech. We've been with yep. the climate bill Definitely passing for the last few episodes. Yeah, it has been, has been, and hopefully people have been listening. So stocks have been have been ripping and roaring, and I think they're going to continue to rip and roar. Um, mm-hmm. Clean tech, energy storage, solar, hydrogen. I think those names are going to continue to be very big winners in the end of the year. You have to understand they rallied this massively and the 400 billion dollar energy infrastructure uh investment hasn't even come into the pipeline yet right like the house Mm -hmm. just passed the bill last friday uh so like we still haven't even seen the benefits of that investment um we haven't seen their earnings reports uh with that with that tailwind at, at, at at the back so i think that things are going to get a lot better for that sector over the next several years uh, and especially over the next several quarters so still very bullish on clean tech the charts look like a lot of the names in that space are breaking out and have runway because uh, they were beaten up and there are some big gaps now for them to fill as they as they head higher so i think that those stocks look really 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 strong um i like i like the robotic space I like the automation space and there's a lot of potential there um, I think that there's a lot of potential actually across pretty much the entire growth arena. I think, again, when we talk mm-hmm. about veritable market transitions, which stocks lead the rally, which stocks tend to be the biggest winners in those transitions, it's the early stage growth names. So I think across that whole arena, it's going to be tough to go wrong. I think even mm-hmm. even the the bad names, like the bad mm-hmm. stocks in the high growth space are going to move higher because rising tides mm-hmm. lift all boats. Yes, the best boats rise faster, but even the bad boats rise in rising tides. So mm-hmm. I think that even like names that we've given up on or names that don't really have a long-term future can mm-hmm. work over the next 12 months so long as they're high growth names. I think it's going to be hard to go wrong in the high growth space. Um, and then we've talked about uh, psychedelics. We've talked about psychedelics before. I think that's a space mm-hmm. in 23. A lot of positive FDA trials going on there. So I think 23 is going to be a big year for psychs. And then lastly, the space that I'm really excited about, space, no no pun intended, is space itself. Um, mm-hmm. I know Virgin Galactic has been knocked down quite a bit, and they've delayed, 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 delayed. But uh, the bulk of evidence suggests they're going to launch commercial space operations in 2023, likely before mm-hmm. the summer. I think that kickstarts a wave of interest in the space. And I think uh, the second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter to 23 could be massive periods for space stocks. So I'd, I'd be pretty big buyers of space stocks ahead of that potential surge in interest and surge of money flow into the space. space. Um, sorry, I find it funny. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, that's, that's where I'm at right now. I, I like to be over indexed to clean tech. I like to be over indexed to, uh, automation robotics and I like to be over indexed to, to space, um, and psychedelics. I think those are four arenas that are going to be very strong over the next 12 to 18 months. Hmm. Uh, shifting gears a little bit. I want to touch on two things relevant to this week, uh, 13F filings and housing data. Uh, let's start with 13F first. <laughs> 
You know, the Securities and Exchange Commission's Form 13F, it's a quarterly report required to be filed by all institutional investment managers with at least $100 million in assets under management. Um, you know, it discloses equity holdings and can provide insights into what the quote unquote smart money is doing in the market. Um, right. But what are you seeing uh, in the big picture with these hedge, with what these hedge funds are doing right now? Uh, I'm seeing lots of growth stock buying, uh, and that explains why, partly why growth stocks have had a big rally. I and mean, there's a lot of growth stock buying happening um, amongst these hedge funds, which they have deep pockets. Um, what's really interesting, talking about specific names, uh, Rivian. Rivian really stood out mm-hmm. to me. Um, David Einhorn, very good manager. Uh, Ray Dalio, obviously a very good manager. Uh, both of them picked up shares of Rivian in the quarter. First time. It's not like they had stakes and, and, and bought more. No, they initiated positions mm-hmm. in Rivian um, in the second quarter. That's pretty bullish because when you think about it, those are funds. They're not high-frequency funds. When they get into names, they tend to mm-hmm. get into those names for several years, and then they sell them several mm-hmm. years down the road uh, or even longer. So the fact that they initiated investments and initiated stakes in Rivian in Q2 2022 means they see a pretty compelling long-term future uh, with Rivian. They plan on selling mm-hmm. those stakes probably in 25, 26, 27, something like that. So when you have two massive funds with great track records like Einhorn's fund, like Dalio's fund, and they get into Rivian in 2Q22 at the same time that the EV space is starting to heat up, you got the climate bill coming through, you have mm-hmm. gas prices super high, so electric vehicle demand super robust, you have EV sales hitting records in a year where nothing else is hitting records basically. Um that's you know there's a lot of momentum building there so i love the ev space i kind of roll that into the clean tech when i talk about the clean tech arena mm-hmm. um and rivian's a name that i'm really excited about for example let me let me give you a, a real life example here um full disclosure uh we're expecting a second child um and yeah, so our did. family thank you thank you brother um, our family is growing. Uh, we uh-huh. have a five-seater car right now. Two car seats with five-seater is tough, so mm-hmm. we're looking for a seven-seater. Um, I, you know, obviously electric because that is that is a big, a big um, thing of ours. But mm-hmm. um, the market for electric seven-seaters. This has been one of my bull theses or part of the bull thesis on uh, on Rivian for a while. Is there has been a significant dearth of options in the electric seven seater world and Rivian is going to fill that gap very nicely. Uh, and I got proof point of that as, as, as looking at cars, doing, doing some online car shopping, trying to see what's going on. Um, there is a significant lack of electric seven seaters in the market today. You have the Tesla model X and you have the Mm -hmm. Rivian R one S which isn't even Mm -hmm. being produced yet. Really? Um, and that's about it. Everything else is hybrid or not really a capable electric car. So there is a real dearth of options in the seven-seater world. And when you look at the Tesla Model X, it's running $130,000 right now, basically. Mm-hmm. Rivian starting at you know eighty. So we're talking a substantial discount. Um, mm-hmm. I think Rivian is debuting the right car at the right time, I think the R1S is going to have huge demand. The question mark there is production, but they maintain their production guidance. That's what we got in the quarterly report last week. So mm-hmm. 
I think there is a lot of potential for Rivian long or near term, but also long term. It makes sense why Dalio and Einhorn established stakes. Um, I think that stock can and will go higher uh, in the near term. So very positive on Rivian. 13S made me more positive on it. And then the final comment on 13S I want to talk about is uh, it's more of a, a funny thing. Maybe it's not funny. Maybe he's right. Uh, big short guy, Michael Burry, right? Everybody knows the mm-hmm. name. Michael Burry went ahead and sold everything last quarter. <laughs> okay. And then he bought one stock. It's called Geo, Geo Group. And I, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the name because I played around with it back in like 2015, 2016, right around when Trump got elected. Mm-hmm. It popped up, that, that popped up on my radar today too, actually, coincidentally. Yeah, Geo. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a private prison operator. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Burry sold everything in Q2 and bought a private prison operator. Okay. Make from that what you will. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of people, I mean, it's, he's obviously, it's his doomsday prediction. Uh, he's, he's a super bear right now. He thinks the sell-offs mm-hmm. only halfway over. He actually said that in, at the end of June, June 30th, as mm-hmm. the market started to melt up. Um, he thinks the, the sell-offs only halfway over. He thinks inflation is going to be a longer term problem than, than what it is, uh, than what a lot of people were expecting it to be. Um, he mm-hmm. thinks probably that there's going to be a lot of labor market destruction and therefore more crime and therefore more demand for, for prisons. Um, he's also uh, very political and uh, has a belief system that the current administration is, is doing a horrible job and running America into the ground. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there, there's a lot of kind of puts and takes to, to the Burry 13F filing. Um, but he's putting his money where his mouth is. You know, he's, he's been saying a lot of things on Twitter recently. And it, as it turns out, his money is exactly where his mouth is. He has sold everything and bought a private prison stock um, mm-hmm. or private prison operator. Uh, so you got to respect it. You, you got to okay. respect it. The man has mm-hmm. made billions in the markets by betting against bubbles, by betting against market euphoria. Uh, he was mm-hmm. made a bunch of money in, in the dot-com crash, made a bunch of money in the, uh, in the great financial crisis. Um, and so he's, he has a knack for these things. So you got to respect the call. You got to respect that he mm-hmm. sold everything and just bought a private prison operator stock. Um, but just one opinion. Nobody has a crystal ball. Um, uh-huh. what that 13 F does to me is it tells me, okay, doesn't really tip the scales at all, in my opinion, uh-huh. but what it does is it says, okay, there are, there are some risks and we should continue to monitor them. Um, that some very sure. smart people are still very fearful. I think that adds ammunition uh-huh. for the rally. Um, hated rallies tend to be the biggest rallies. So I like that, but at the same time, it means we have to tiptoe. Don't sprint. Uh-huh. Don't put on blindfolds and run right now. Let's uh-huh. walk step by step. Let's take each week with the step and we'll see how the data continues to roll in. But for right now, I'm remaining optimistic. Just wanted to bring up the Burry thing because I believe that is a great counterpoint and a great reason for us to remain aware of the risks to sure. the bull, bull thesis that we have developed. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, moving on to housing, 
Um, lots of data this week. Right. Uh, unfortunately, almost all of it is bad. Uh, can you give us a little indicator as to what's going on right now? Are we crashing? Yeah, housing market. No bueno right now. No bueno. Um, yeah, things things don't look good. Home builder index, home builder sentiment down to levels uh, very rarely seen. Um, it's sub fifty. It's a contraction level. It's not good. Uh, the today the housing starts data was bad, but permits were actually beat. We get existing home sales on uh, I believe Thursday it is. So the data overall is not great. Uh, you can go to Zillow, mm-hmm. go to Redfin, um, go to Open Door, check your local area. You'll see inventories way up, but the homes aren't moving. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like everyone's kind of like waiting. Like okay, is a whole bunch of inventory came to market. There are still a lot of buyers. Mm-hmm. Um, but no one's closing at listing prices. So there's price cuts. And I think everyone's kind of waiting to see, okay, when are those price cuts going to stop? When is the demand going to step in? And when are the closings going to happen? And then you're going to get the next wave of inventory. Then you're going to get, okay, the people that are thinking about selling are now going to know where to list, where to sell, a lot of, a lot of do. And the waiting period is because mortgage rates are doing... I mean, uh-huh. they're going crazy, right? We went all the yeah. way above six. We came below four. We're like, we're bouncing in. These are insane bounces, in a 30-year fixed mortgage rate, this is the rate at which you're going to finance your home for 30 years. It's a big mm-hmm. decision, and the rate is is bouncing 100, 200 basis points week to week. I mean, it's crazy. So that's why we're in this holding period right now. Ultimately, I believe with this inflation, those mm-hmm. mortgage rates are going to head lower with treasury yields that they've mm-hmm. already priced in all the rate hikes. And what they haven't priced in is is a dovish pivot from the Fed, potentially by the end of the year or in early 2023. So I think mortgage rates go lower. And I think what that allows for is the housing market to start to stabilize. Remember, I've always said what we're doing is resetting to a normal, not crashing. I Uh still believe that. We Uh got way too hot in 2021. We are resetting to a normal in 2022. That's going to mean we're probably going to get several months of negative home price appreciation of negative HPA. We're going to get several months of down volume. We're going to get several months of price cuts, but it's only going to be several months and not several quarters or several years. We're going to get several months of this. By the end of the year, things will firm up as the Fed starts to take its foot off the pedal with rate hikes, as mortgage rates really start to come down, as economic stability returns just a little bit. Then in 2023, I think the market gets back to sure footing and we start growing again. So I think the housing market is just in its reset to normal period right now. A lot of people are confusing it as a crash. It is not Uh that. And I think by 2023, it will be proven not to be that. This is creating, in in my opinion, a pretty big opportunity in housing stocks, that housing uh-huh. stocks are, if you want to do like a probabilities matrix, probably 90-10, where they're pricing a 90% chance of a crash, 10% chance of normalization. Those odds just, I don't believe, mesh with reality. And therefore, the valuations are too discounted given the fundamental state of affairs. That creates an opportunity in those stocks. I think home builders look pretty good. I think some of the iBuyers look pretty good. I think some of the digital real estate firms look pretty good, whether it be a Zillow or a Redfin or something like that. I think those stocks are due for massive moves higher in 2023, but they're also due for continued volatility probably for the next few months. Um, Mm -hmm. But Overall, the thesis on housing remains unchanged for me. The Uh data continues to suggest to me this is a reset 
to normal buying trends and not a uh -huh. crash like a wait. Remember, again, it's worth restating this. No, I the housing markets. The housing markets only crashed once in like uh -huh. fifty years, and that was two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and that uh -huh. was because of significant overbuilding and significant over leverage. We have uh -huh. neither today. People are not over levered. They all, yes, there was a home buying surge in 2020, 2021 mm -hmm. at record low interest rates. Those people yeah. aren't breaking their backs. They're paying a thousand, two thousand bucks a month on their mortgage. They're not breaking <laughs> their backs. Yeah. They're all right. They're doing just fine. They're actually mm -hmm. super happy they bought because now they're not financing at four, five, six percent. They finance mm -hmm. at half that, right? So, mm -hmm. You don't have over leverage today and you don't have over building, over supply. Home builders, we talked about this before, they underbuilt from 2008 to 2022. They underbuilt. Whereas mm -hmm. from 1995 to 08, they overbuilt. That created a massive glut. Excess supply in the housing market is not driven by current homeowners because you sell your home, you become a buyer. That's one to one, it nets out. Yep. Excess supply is uh, produced by builders because a builder just builds and becomes a seller. There's no mm -hmm. buying unit of buying demand to offset that. So excess mm -hmm. supply is produced by builders. Builders have underbuilt. Builders have labor shortages today. Builders, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> builders have lumber shortages today. So. Mm -hmm. Not only did they underbuild, but now they can't overcompensate with more building. Look at the housing starts numbers today because mm -hmm. they don't have enough labor. They don't have enough wood. So long story short, I think just the fundamental dynamics here make it nearly impossible for this to be a housing market crash. And we're mm -hmm. resetting back to normal. So that thesis, that's what we've had. And that remains unchanged, but the data is going to continue to be ugly. So a lot of people are going to confuse it as a crash. That probably creates more volatility in these stocks. And a 12-month, 24-month window, that's an opportunity. I expect a lot of certain housing stocks to rise 3x, 4x, 5x over the next one to two years alone because the mispricing mm -hmm. is so significant. So uh, you talk about how we've only really seen act actual one housing crash in the last 50 years. But is there a historical precedent for what we're seeing today in the pricing? In terms of like a price surge? Yeah. Yeah, price prices surge all the time. You know, they randomly mm. spike. Today, or in what happened in 2020, 2021 was the largest of such spikes. Mm. Uh, and that's that's why a lot of people are like, oh, well, the inventory thing's not an issue because affordability is, is collapsed to levels that are consistent with 2008. And that's true. They are 2006, mm -hmm. rather, because that's when the housing market actually peaked. Um, mm -hmm. And that's true. But affordability can just as easily become better if mortgage rates drop, right? And mortgage mm -hmm. rates, we've seen them go from 6 okay. to 4%. They've moved yeah. 200 bips in, in, a, mm -hmm. in a month or two, right? Yeah. So if that continues, affordability is going to completely change directions. And what is one of the least affordable housing markets of all time could become very regularly affordable with a mm -hmm. shift in mortgage rates. Mortgage rates matter a lot in this equation, which is why we always come back to inflation. Inflation, <laughs> inflation, inflation. Yes, it's all yes, about no. inflation, man. Everything's about inflation. Like I, recession, like, that's everything that I'm looking at right now. Mm -hmm. All that I care about when I look at a data point, I get a data point, come, comes across one of my screens, I get a data point. And mm -hmm. my question is, what does this data point do for the trend of inflation? 
Because that's all that matters. If that data point is pointing me to slower inflation, bullish. If that data point is pointing me to faster inflation, bearish. And that Mm -hmm. is pretty binary at this point. That's where we are. If inflation decelerates, everything gets better. Everything. Inflation decelerates. The Fed eases up on rate hikes. Yields come lower. Stock multiples go higher. Mortgage rates go lower. Housing market normalizes. Like everything gets better if inflation decelerates. Inflation accelerates. Everything gets worse. Fed puts their foot to the gas a little bit more. Rates go higher. Yields go higher. Stock multiples go lower. Mortgage rates go higher. Home prices crash. All of a sudden, it is a doozy. It is a doozy if that happens. And so everything that I'm looking at right now, data point comes across one of my screens. Is it good or bad for the trend of inflation? Binary at this point. And that that's where we're hyper-focused on. That's exactly where we're hyper-focused on. So the data I'm seeing coming in very regularly is that inflation is decelerating. Pretty much every data point that I'm looking at that comes in every single day, whether it's an earnings report or an economic print or something, you know, something somebody's saying, whether it's a Fed speaker or, or a consumer sentiment survey, um, most of these data points, I would say about eight out of every 10 that I'm looking at, are pointing towards slower inflation trends. Mm-hmm. Um, two out of 10 are pointing to hotter inflation trends. So long as that balance remains skewed towards slower inflation, I stay bullish on stocks. Once mm-hmm. that data incoming, that incoming data becomes skewed towards faster inflation, that's when I become bearish on equities. But for now, it's overwhelmingly bullish on inflation, mm-hmm. on disinflation, and therefore mm-hmm. bullish for equities. So that's where we are, Aaron. And that's why inflation is just so important. We have mm-hmm. to solve it, else everything's going to crash. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned at the top of this call a little bit about how crypto is doing with respect to the rally, but going into right. our crypto check-in, any new? how much is the rally affecting the crypto markets? And is there anything new to report there? Uh, cryptocurrencies. Yeah, crypto's doing well, man. Where are we on BTC right now? Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Where'd you go, BTC? <laughs> 23 eight. Yeah, I mean, we've been flirting with that that 24 level for a long time, bouncing around there. Remember when we were bouncing around 17, 5, 18, 19? Yeah, I remember. 24 feels pretty good relative to that, doesn't it? <laughs> certainly, it's certainly not 30. It's certainly not 40. It's certainly not 50. And it's mm-hmm. certainly not 60. But yeah. it's not 18 either. It's 24. Yeah. Um, price action is really improving. I'm seeing some pretty favorable trends there. There's a lot of VC money going in there. It's crazy. Okay. So, um, remember the company WeWork? Yeah. Yeah. Remember the crazy founder, Adam Newman? Yep. Um, he just raised, I think it was like $350 million for a crypto backup, for a crypto uh, startup. Uh, okay. from A16Z, the the Andreessen Horowitz fund, the the massive uh, uh crypto fund. Remember when cryptos were crashing and Andreessen Horowitz raised like this multi billion dollar fund, and everyone's like, "What? What? Like, what are you doing? Like, you just raised multi billion dollars yeah. to invest in the this crashing asset." Well, yeah, they did, and now they're deploying that money, and some of that money went to three hundred fifty million dollars of it went to 
the WeWork, the WeWork founder, uh, former CEO, Adam Newman, which is shocking okay. because that guy was basically black sheep from Wall Street after what happened <laughs> with the WeWork IPO. I mean, that was like, what is it, the $47 billion company that's valuation got slashed, what, $3 billion or something? Um, mm-hmm. Because they were parting away the money and all that stuff, whatever. I mean, a lot, lot of stories happened over there. But in any event, he just raised $350 million in the in the crypto world. Now, some people will say, oh, my God, that's super silly. That speaks to the, the speculation, the, the still silly price action, silly investments happening in the cryptoverse. Sure. But what it also speaks to is just robust enthusiasm for what can be accomplished in the crypto universe over the next decade. That mm-hmm. A16Z is not dumb. They are a very smart fund. They are run mm-hmm. by very smart people. They have a lot of money. And they are so excited about this that they gave a CEO who basically turned a $47 billion company to a $3 billion company. They yeah. gave him $350 million to do something special in crypto. Because that mm-hmm. same guy, Adam Newman, people always mm-hmm. remember him as a guy that took WeWork from 47 to 3. He also took WeWork from an idea to $47 billion, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. now what A16Z is betting on is that, okay – we're going to give Adam $350 million in crypto and he can do the same thing in crypto. He can go from zero to $47 billion. And mm-hmm. I, you know what? Who knows if he's going to be able to do it. But the action in and of itself speaks to the mm-hmm. robust enthusiasm for economic potential to be unlocked in the crypto space over the next five years, 10 years, regardless of the current price action. Now mm-hmm. the price action is starting to reflect that. The price action is like, wait, A16Z, what are you seeing? Wait, you know, Sequoia, what are you seeing? Mm-hmm. Wait, big VCs that are still pumping bunches of money into this, what are you seeing? Wait, all the tech employees who have left Silicon Valley, Facebook, Netflix, Google, and are now going to crypto startups. What are you seeing? Mm-hmm. Price action starting to reflect that. What are you seeing? Like, you know what? Maybe you're seeing something. Now investors mm-hmm. are coming back in. It's a, it's, a, it's a trickle. It's not a surge. It's a trickle. But I think this sets us up for what will be a boom cycle in 2023, seriously. Um, I think that what we have over the next 18 months in the crypto world is a series of catalysts that are going to keep sending Bitcoin and cryptos higher and higher and higher and higher. You're going to get falling inflation. That's going to help cryptos. You're probably going to get a dovish pivot from the Fed. That's going to help cryptos. You're going to get all the hype about the Bitcoin happening in 2024. Usually that hype starts 12 months before. So you're going to get that in early 2023. You're going to probably get some favorable legislation or some legislation passed in D.C. in the summer session. So that takes us Mm -hmm. into the summer of 23. When you look at all those catalysts, all of a sudden you're like, wait, between now and the end of 23, there's a lot of potentially positive things that will happen Mm -hmm. that could get cryptos moving again and that's where we are with with cryptos we think that we're in this trickle higher soon that trickle Mm -hmm. is going to become a stream and then it's going to become an outright freaking river that turns into an ocean that's what we think is going to happen with cryptos over the next 12 to 16 months so now is a pretty good time to start slowly dipping back in and then once that trickle turns into a stream, put a little bit more in. And as that stream turns into an ocean, put a lot more in. Like just, uh-huh. just roll with the tide here because the tide is going to be po- probably favorable over the next 12 to 18 months. So we like where cryptos go. You want a price target. I think Bitcoin 30K by the end of the year seems very doable. I think mm-hmm. Bitcoin 70, 80K new highs by the end of next year seems very doable. So I think that that's, as of right now, that's where, where I'm seeing cryptos head. 
Well, I look forward to continue tracking this with you along the way. Uh, moving on to our fan questions, we got a ton of them this week. So uh, first up, Mike S. Uh, can you keep us updated on any stagflation worries that may or may not arise? Luke mentioned that if we have a stagflation, which would be around a 5% probability, that everything would get crushed, including all the stocks he has been raving about. Uh, there is always risk buying any stock. If economic conditions go sour, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, hey, if, if, if stagflation hits, he's absolutely right. And I, I've said it before on this podcast, too. Um, what we own will not be immune, and it will be absolutely mm. crushed. Stagflation will crush everything. Yeah. Everything. Every stock, every bond, every crypto, every just crushed. Commodities mm -hmm. will be well because that's the definition of stagflation. So if stagflation arises, the play is go all in commodities and ditch everything else. That that's the play mm -hmm. with stagflation. Because yeah. nothing, no other asset is priced for stagflation right now. Fortunately, the incoming data continues to very strongly suggest stagflation is not going to happen. The economy mm -hmm. remains pretty robust, pretty strong. Walmart, Home Depot earnings, consumer, still pretty healthy. Labor market, yeah. Yeah. still pretty good. That means the stag part of stagflation doesn't look very likely. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. the flation part, inflation is coming down. We talked about it earlier. Energy prices are collapsing. Oil prices are collapsing. Transport prices are collapsing. Shipping costs are collapsing. All of these costs are collapsing right now. So as a result, it looks like inflation is on a decelerating trajectory. So stagflation to happen, you need two things. You need stag, you need inflation. Right now, we're getting – or both trends are pointing towards neither being a thing within the next mm -hmm. six to 12 months. So stagflation outcome, increasingly unlikely. But yes, mm -hmm. if it happens – Below 5%? I, I would say below 5% now, below 5%? honestly. Okay. I would say – I would yeah. I mean if 5% before, probably 2 or 3% now. And it continues to move lower. With each data report that comes out that's showing slowing inflation – and with each earnings report or data report that comes out that shows a still strong consumer, still good spending environment, still healthy labor conditions, the outcome, the probabilities of a stagflation outcome continue to fall. And that's why I remain bullish on this idea that it's not going to happen. This is not the 1970s all over again. And if it does, there will be enough warning signs for us to mm -hmm. get out of certain stocks before mm -hmm. they absolutely collapse. That stocks don't drop 50% overnight. They drop 50% yeah. over the course of a few months. There will be enough, we're watching this very closely, there will be enough warning signs for us to get out of the stocks that will collapse 50% and maybe roll into some commodities if the mm -hmm. probabilities of a stagflation outcome rise in the next few weeks or few months. But right now they're falling and that's why commodity prices are falling and stocks are going higher. I think that trend persists, but we'll continue to monitor stagflation risks as, as we go forward because it's not completely off the table. It's just like, you know, barely hanging on for dear life right now. So <laughs> that's where we are with stagflation. All right, sounds good. Uh, next question from Mia T. Uh, why are EV companies like Tesla and Lucid investing in battery technology running on electricity when most seem to think that long-term hydrogen is the technology that's going to fuel cars and vehicles and is so much more environmentally friendly? Um, I don't think that it's a consensus that hydrogen is going to fuel most transport vehicles. Um, I think the consensus mm -hmm. belief among the engineering community and scientific community is that electric 
battery electric, well power passenger cars, um, scooters, uh, basically any passenger transportation vehicle. Talking about it within cities, between cities, a short distance, things that aren't carrying a lot of stuff. And things that mm. don't have to travel more than 500, 600 miles on, on a single charge. That's where battery electric shines. I mean, the science is very well understood. The cost of lithium-ion batteries is following a very rapid cost decline curve. And they are very low right now. And they're projected to continue to follow that cost decline curve. Uh, the infrastructure is built out. The science is very well understood. Uh, the manufacturing lines are already set up. So there's no reason to shift away from battery electric today. And battery electric will likely dominate in those markets. Where hydrogen is going to dominate is in the long-haul, heavy-duty transportation market. Trucks mm -hmm. that got to go from San Diego to Denver. Um, ships mm -hmm. that got to go across the Pacific Ocean. Planes that got to go from Beijing to New York. Uh, that's mm -hmm. where hydrogen is going to shine because those are longer distances that electric batteries cannot service on a single charge. And hydrogen fuel cells can be much more compact. So they don't, you know, if you're going to build a battery that can go for those long distances, it's going to be huge and heavy. Hydrogen fuel cells, mm -hmm. super compact, super light. So in those sort of heavy usage, long range situations, that's where hydrogen is going to shine. And this is a very important question because it illustrates a common misconception in the clean energy revolution in that it's one or the other. It's not mm -hmm. one or the other. This is a composite clean yeah. energy revolution where everything is going to work. We just need more energy, folks. Just <laughs> point blank, period. We just need more energy. So if it's coming from hydrogen or it's coming from lithium-ion batteries or it's coming from the wind or it's coming from solar or it's coming from natural gas, we just need more energy, period. So mm -hmm. when I talk about the clean energy revolution, I see all of these things working together. They're going to have hydrogen powering data centers, planes, mm -hmm. ships, mm -hmm. trucks. You're going to have lithium-ion batteries powering your, your, your passenger car, probably mm -hmm. trains, uh, uh, intra-city vehicles like the delivery vans, the, mm -hmm. um, uh, the garbage trucks, the school buses. You're going to have solar powering every home, but you're probably going to have hydrogen with the utility company ready to back up your power in case it goes out and your energy storage system fails. So all mm -hmm. of these things are going to work together. They're mm -hmm. going to work together to create more energy that's very reliable, always on, and is never strained. Right mm -hmm. now, we are far ways away from that dream, from that utopia. It's going to take a lot of innovation and a lot of product enhancements to get there. And it's not going to be through batteries alone. It's not going to be through hydrogen alone. It's not going to be through solar alone or wind alone or anything alone. It's going to be through all of them together. And that's why we invest in hydrogen stocks. That's why we invest in EV stocks. That's why we invest in solar stocks. That's why we invest in energy storage stocks. That's why we invest in all of them because they are all an important piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you actually just answered our next question as well, but I want to ask it to you anyway, just because I don't want to take away from our viewers. Uh, with the recent development in the climate tax bill, uh, what are your views on which of these you'll put your money on? Fuel cell energy, plug power, Bloom Energy Core, Blink Charging, ChargePoint, EVgo. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we, yeah, we, we like all of them. Um, we like, we like the whole clean tech space. We like, we believe all should be invested in, but if you're talking specifically about what stocks will win big as a result of the climate bill, our favorite personal favorite, you're making mm-hmm. me pick favorite among my sons, among my kids, sure. um, yeah, my personal I, favorite, I, I, my personal favorite would be the energy storage sector. Um, mm-hmm. This climate bill includes the first ever investment tax credit, ITC, for energy storage, standalone energy storage systems. That's mm-hmm. going to create a boom in the energy storage sector. How did okay. solar get so hot in the 2010s? Because mm-hmm. of the introduction of an investment tax credit for standalone mm-hmm. solar. That's what started the whole solar boom in the 2010s. That's what created Enphase stock, Solar Edge stock, all, all those massive winners was because mm-hmm. the government passed an ITC for standalone solar. Now they just passed an ITC for energy storage. So you see the big gains mm-hmm. that happened in the 2010s with solar. Think you're going to get that in the 2020s with energy storage. We have a few names that we're very, very fond of. Can't say them here. Got my subscribers <laughs> to take care of. But if you're going to make mm-hmm. me pick a favorite clean tech sector to buy because of the climate bill, it's energy mm-hmm. storage. Gotcha. Uh, Isen Shaw, any thoughts on CRISPR Inc.? Considering the recent earnings from CRISPR, do you see any long-term viability in the company with its pipeline having huge potential? But on the other hand, CRISPR have no product or service in the market yet. Yeah, I mean, CRISPR just can get bundled into the whole uh, gene editing kind of uh, sphere or space, if you will. Um, love the potential there. I think gene editing mm-hmm. technologies have tremendous long-term potential. Uh, but yes, they are essentially productless, like all biotechs, um, all early-stage biotechs, um, and essentially revenue-less, like all early-stage biotechs. In a mm-hmm. market where... Interest rates are rising, yields are rising, inflation is a problem. Having no revenues, having no cash flows, having no products, not a great stock to buy. But in a market that shifts to lower rates, lower yields, less inflation, all of a sudden having no product, having no revenues, having no cash flows isn't a backbreaker so long as you have a robust and promising innovation pipeline. So that's CRISPR. That's mm-hmm. all the gene editing names. I think those are names that can and will bounce pretty big into 2023 as we shift into a market environment with lower rates, lower yields, and less inflation. This mm-hmm. is the exact type of stock that could lead this new bull market, lead stocks higher. So we're definitely bullish on the gene editing space in general, and CRISPR is a leading name in there. So by extension, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess we're bullish on CRISPR therapeutics. Not not a favorite position, not out here mm-hmm. pounding the table on it, but if you were to come out here, put a gun to my head and say, buy or sell CRISPR, I would say buy right now. All right. <laughs> uh, Miles Horton. Uh, hi, Luke. I'm a subscriber to your innovation and early stage portfolios. Great job with your top 10 and divergence picks. Question. I would love to maximize the growth potential of these investments. Any thoughts on buying leaps nine to 18 months out to capitalize on larger quantities of each of these stocks? If you want... Go ahead. Be my guest. I, I, I personally do not uh, invest in derivatives. Um, I personally do not recommend derivatives. I think there's enough potential to be had uh, by just buying these stocks standalone basis and not putting yourself to the uh, subjective requirements of hitting a certain price at a certain you know date and time. But if you are comfortable delving into that world, then 
be my guest and and have fun and, and best of luck. I, I think you probably can make a lot of money that way, but it will not be under under my guidance or under my recommendation or anything of that nature. I I focus on picking winning companies and winning sectors that can produce a lot of returns. If you find a way to maximize your return out of that stock, tip of the hat, cheers, and uh, dinner's on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, well, that kind of wraps everything up. Uh, great insights at, for our listeners and HGI investors, as always. <laughs> Luke, do you have any words before we wrap this week? I'm just I'm impressed with price action, man. I mean, yesterday looked like it was going to be a big down day. Stocks kind of rallied into the close. Today looked like it was going to be a big down day. Nasdaq's now barely negative. So th- this market doesn't want to go down right now. And I think it's going to take some real bad news to get it to move significantly lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the absence of that, I think the momentum persists. The trend is our friend. Continue to ride the trend until the evidence suggests reason not to. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Please, if you have any questions or comments for Luke, leave them in our comment section. We love to hear their, your feedback and any topics you'd like us to cover and see if we can answer any of your burning questions. Until then, please don't forget to like and subscribe, and we will see you all next week. Bye, all.